This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's the worst up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. We are a show that tried to warn you about Navy SMU. Anyway, we have our Sunday recap show. With me, as always, is Mike Craven, looking rested after a very early end to his Saturday. Mike, how are you doing? It was nice. I was in my own bed, sleeping by 11.15 at night. I feel, I feel like a new man. It's amazing. I was up at 6 o'clock this morning, though, because I am 80. <laughs> there you go you had to you had to go feed the feed the animals you had to go get the feed papers from the driveway well i can only sleep for seven hours in a row so no matter what time i go to bed you know like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter uh also with us as usual is everyone's favorite mal pal mallory hardly hello mallory hello doing well doing well glad we're getting this out of the way at 9 a.m so we can have yeah. the rest of the sunday to relax and watch the cowboys beat the eagles later <laughs> There you go. Look at that <laughs> NFC East trash talk to start off the podcast. Uh, yeah, so we're recording this a little bit earlier because we had no late games yesterday. We had a bunch of midweeks. We had a bunch of early kickoffs and we had nothing kick, which honestly, as a college football fan, that worked because Craven, you were talking about before you got to watch like some of the other great matchups going on, like USC uh, getting upset by Utah. And yeah, it was nice to not have to pay attention to, you know, three other different screens going on at the same time uh, for, for a job for once in a while. And we are going to get right into it. Let's just do it off the top. Let's get into our top three games. Number one, I mean, this one speaks for itself. A game that apparently everybody was at, except me, with TCU 43, Oklahoma State 40. A game that I honestly thought was... Looking done early on, uh, Oklahoma State came out firing Spencer Sanders. It looked like TCU did not scout Spencer Sanders at all. He made plays with his legs, of course, had a touchdown run, made plays with his arm. And then the TCU offense took a little bit to get going. But just when I was thinking this was over, TCU decided to run the Quentin Johnson play 17 times. I don't know. Um, he finishes with eight catches. On let me see if I got the targets right too. Uh, eight catches on 14 targets, 180 yards through the air, one touchdown. And TCU comes back in double overtime, 43-40. You know, Craven, start off with you. What man, we we had questions about second half of the season, Sonny Dykes. And for the first half, it looked like those things were starting, those concerns were coming up. You know, what did you see in that second half? And and what do you think about TCU now who look like the odds on favorite in the Big 12? Yeah, super impressed with TCU after yesterday because they won in a way that I don't assume TCA, TCU is going to beat a team like Oklahoma State. They did it in the trenches. You know, they they beat up Oklahoma State. They, they won the battle defensively. Remember, this is a team that was given up 222 yards of rushing a game last year, um, over five yards of carry. A lot of touchdowns. They allowed Spencer Sanders to get loose a few times early. He had two rushing touchdowns in that first quarter. After that, they shut him down pretty much the rest of the game. I don't think Oklahoma State averaged four yards a rush. Uh, I think it was at 3.4 looking at it right now. TCU averaged 5.2. You know, so the trenches were where TCU won this game. That wasn't a strength going into the year. And so for me, it was impressive to watch the Horn Frogs win a game where Max Duggan didn't go off. You know, what so far they had been playing almost perfect offense, putting up 40, 50, 60 points a game, doing whatever they want. Garrett Riley looked like he was, you know, calling plays excellently every single week. But then you go back and you look at the schedule, and it's really just Kansas. You know, Oklahoma's not very good. Uh, Kansas doesn't look to be as great anymore with their backup quarterback now. They didn't have that signature win, that one win where you're like, okay, I'm going to buy into this TCU team. Yesterday was exactly that, to be able to rally from 14 points down, uh, going into halftime and then in the fourth quarter, TCU didn't take their first lead until the first period of overtime. 
you know? And so they could have folded in this game multiple, multiple times. And they did not. This was a team that quit in years past with Gary Patterson. Uh, they did not yesterday. They played a really hard four quarter and then beyond football game. Um, yeah, just super impressed with TCU winning with their B or C game. You don't see bad teams do that. Only good teams win when they're not playing their best. And so, um, you know, just one win for TCU, but it feels like more. It feels like one of the biggest wins this program has had in, in recent memory. Yeah. Mallory, you were there. Um, you know, talk a little bit about Quentin Johnston. You know, you got to see him in person, yeah. somebody who's getting NFL hype. Um, you know, heading into the season, I think everybody on this show was a little bit not skeptical of the gifts, but skeptical of the production, right? Mm -hmm. We kept hearing about how he's the most talented player on this roster. Maybe the scheme didn't fit him in the past to where you couldn't really see that. But now we're going on multiple games this year where he's clearly the best, like the most talented and gifted player on the team. And I'm not going to lie too. I remember sitting up in the stands as a, as a, just a neutral fan and, and saw those two early touchdowns from rushing touchdowns from Spencer Sanders. And I looked at pickle and I was like, man, this could get ugly really fast because TCU just didn't look very good against, yeah. um, against the run at first. But then they of course started to kick it into high gear and man, seeing Quentin Johnson do what he does really well, just, it was really cool to see because I, I don't think that he's always had this potential behind him. I think he's, we've always known coming out of Temple High School that he was going to be a really special player um, at TCU, but I just don't think he's really lived up to the hype um, until this game and then the game against he had uh, against Kansas last week. So it was really cool to see him just really outshine all of those Oklahoma State defenders. He was easily the most athletic one on the field yesterday, him and Kendra Miller, of course, mm -hmm. just, I think they both looked incredible, but Quentin, Quentin Johnson really, really lived up to the hype yesterday and looked really, really good. I it think never, one of the things that you go ahead, go ahead. I, I was going to say, it never felt under Gary Patterson that they force fed their, their star players. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They kind of let the game come to those guys instead of going, we have this dude, we're just going to give him the ball 10 to 15 times and, and figure it out from there. It does seem like Garrett Riley in that offense has decided Quentin Johnson's our best player. We have to manufacture touches from him, even if it's screen game, even if it's bubbles. Uh, it kind of reminded, you know what he reminds me of? I'm just going to date myself here. Roy Williams when he was at Texas before the ankle injury stuff. Interesting. He's long. He's lean. He's fast. He can he can jump. He can do mm -hmm. vertical routes. But he also he played can basketball do, too, right? He was a basketball star. Yeah. He could probably average double digits if he still played. If you ask him, he he thinks he can average twelve in, in, <laughs> in the Big That's Twelve cool. right now. Um, but he, I think, one of the strengths that he has that we didn't really know about or wasn't used as much until this year is that short screen stuff that he can then go take for 12, 15, 20 yards because he's just such a hard guy to tackle in space. Mm -hmm. Was it was it promising to see how balanced of an attack, offensive attack that TCU was able to display yesterday? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we had Sonny on, he talked about how much easier it is to call plays when you're allowed to be balanced. When they got mm -hmm. down 24 to 7, my worry was, well, now they're going to have to be pass heavy. They're going to have to mm -hmm. abandon that run. And that offensive line is the strength of the team, but they're a much better run blocking team than they mm -hmm. are pass blocking offensive line. And so you could see once they started getting a little pass heavy in the second quarter. Oklahoma State's defense was having a lot of success. That's why Max Duggan was struggling. Not as good when pressure's in his face. Uh, but you could tell in the second half, TCU was like, well, if we're going to lose this game, we're going to go down doing our thing. We're going to run the football, get back to being balanced. And along with the defense, that allowed them to get back in the game. And so for me, that's the most impressive part about TCU. Mm -hmm. they, they can beat you in multiple ways. This isn't just Max Duggan or bust, Quentin Johnston or bust, defense or bust, running game or bust. They can do all of that stuff, and that makes you a really dangerous team at a Big 12 that's relatively even, where it's going to come down to who has the most varied ways of winning. Mm -hmm. TCU seems to be the team in the Big 12 right now that has the most amount of ways towards a victory. Yeah, I think one of the things that we asked Sonny Dykes about when he came on the show, and th something we've talked about a little bit now, was the ready-made talent there. And the, kind of how they just seemed like a team that was just waiting in the wings to, to kind of be unleashed. And we saw that at SMU when he had Reggie Robertson, right? Like we saw with, you know, uh, we're seeing it with Rasheed Rice and guys like that, like still at, at SMU, where they have these guys and they're going to force feet on the ball if they need to get out of a jam. And it, even as talented as those guys are, like 
Quentin Johnson is a different level physically from those guys. So I think that Sonny Dykes probably got on campus and he was like, oh, they got this guy here. That's nuts. Like, you know, here's a guy who's as fast as those dudes and he's 6'3". Like, that's insane, 200 pounds. So, um, yeah, it's – it's. I think I think a lot of TCU fans are feeling validated being with how frustrated they were in the past having guys like that and not wondering – and wondering why they weren't better – and I think now they're being validated because, like you mentioned, this is the biggest win in is at least going back until the, you know, the Trevon Boykin teams um, at the very least. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely a conference contender and a conference favorite right now um, that we're working with in Fort Worth. So everyone yeah. rushed the field after two. It was a cool yeah. it was a really cool atmosphere to see. I mean, I mean, when's the last time you've seen TCU fans that excited? You know, right. so it was it was really cool. All right, so let's move on to our second game of the week. Um, you know, this one, I hate being as reductive with this one. Uh, Troy 17, Tech State 14. Um, this was my game of the week earlier. I, I usually hate being this reductive, but this one falls on the quarterback. Um, Troy was fan, uh, Troy did not play fantastic. Texas State's defense was fantastic in this game. Um, they frustrated Troy. They got to the passer. Gunnar Watson was knocked out. And ironically enough, Jarrett Dagey's the one that threw the, the game-winning touchdown pass. Um, but uh, I'm trying to find – they sacked – they sacked Gunnar Watson twice. They got to him a bunch of times. You know, he finished 12-22, um, had a pick as well. And this one was – I mean, I, again, I hate to say it. The play calling was there. The running game was there. Lincoln Perry had a, a screen game go for, like, 60 yards for a touchdown. And Lane Hatcher just missed about two or three wide-open throws that would have probably put this game to bed. Um, one of them, I think, was to Ashton Hawkins. That would have probably – I can't remember if Ashton Hawkins or Javen Banks. Um, but regardless – if you ask any Texas State fan, this is the one game where you look at and say, if they had a quarterback who was on this game, they win this game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those weird things, right? Where the fact that this is a disappointing loss for Texas State says everything mm-hmm. about the progression of Texas State. Sure. If before the year you go on the road, you lose by three, Detroit, everybody's like, man, that's a good performance, you know, but Texas State's played so well the last few weeks and had opportunities to win that game where the Bobcats leave with a three-point road loss to a a really good Sunbelt team Mm -hmm. and go, we should have had this one. We should have beat this team. I think that's a good sign for Texas State. That defense is awesome. Troy had 13 drives. They punted seven times with the turnover. They had five three and outs. Um, so the defense is doing everything that they can. I would argue that that defense is a conference championship contending defense, right? Like that unit Perhaps, yeah. is good enough to be the best in the West division, at least, or one of the best in the West division. It's the offense that's lagging behind, as Ish mentioned, uh, some missed throws, some missed opportunities offensively. Uh, but we did see a couple new faces kind of uh, emerge as, as uh, targets and as playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. It's kind of the same story for Texas State. Just a lack of consistency at the quarterback position where you look at it and you go, if that one spot was figured out, if that one spot was a plus player, this mm-hmm. Texas State team is, is a bowl team and one that's competing in a, in a West that's you know open to be uh, gotten if you can have a, a good player at that spot. Yep. Um, one of the things that I did like to see in this game was Troy was leading the conference and I believe one of the top teams in the country in sacks at 22, and they didn't get to Lane Hatcher once. Um, so the offensive line did a fantastic job there. Um, I believe Troy now takes pole position in the West. This was kind of a one of those kind of deciding games. Um, I couldn't remember if South Alabama lost, but like you mentioned, the fact that is South Alabama won, I should say. Um, it was one of those games that showed progression. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of, because of the fact that they still didn't win this game, now you're because last week you thought you got one in the in your hand, right? It was like, oh, they beat App State. Now let's see if they can get a couple more. Now it, you know, this is one of those games where you maybe thought you could sneak away with. Then the margin for error kind of you lose it a little bit more. Um, but regardless, like you mentioned, if you would have told me this game was a three point game on the road beginning of the year, probably would have thought it was a pretty okay team going into it. So. All right, moving on to our last game off the top. Texas 24, Iowa State 21. Craven, me and you said before in, our, in the preview saying 
can Texas win a sloppy, ugly game? And they, they, they scraped it out. It was not pretty, right? It was, it was very much an ugly game. Iowa State somehow slapped together three offensive touchdowns. Um, and Texas did not look great. Quinn Ewers was off on a lot of throws. You know, if he was, if he was like a fraction better, they probably blow this game out by two or three scores, but he was off. So that kept Iowa state in it and Texas had to go down and get in a rock fight. And they did, um, you know, what this goes back to last year when I think it was, uh, Bryce, uh, Brees Hall said five-star players versus five-star culture. And I don't think Texas is a five-star culture, but I'll take three and a half right now. <laughs> I think it's getting there. Um, and also it helps having five-star players that are playing well. Yeah. They exercise some demons again, you know, for the second week in a row, I think in Oklahoma, they wanted to prove they could play a four quarter football game and not just, you know, one half and then blow it in the second half as, as they did in red river last year. And then that kind of started to trend and they were able to do that in that 49 to nothing win. And then I think this week they wanted to prove that they physical, ugly football game, that it's not just style wins fights all the time, that they can get into a fist fight and win it. Iowa State punched them in the mouth multiple times, and Texas answered. I'm almost more impressed with this Texas win over Iowa State than I was the Texas win over Oklahoma. Some of that's about who Oklahoma is, but I know Texas can win one of those games. I know Texas can handle success in that way, right? Can Texas handle a little bit of adversity? They proved that they were able to do that. They're a much tougher team in the trenches than they were last year. The defensive line is much better. They've kind of abandoned putting two defensive ends on the field and just gone, our best players are interior defensive tackles. We're going to put three of those dudes on the field, and we're just going to see what happens after that. Offensively, Kelvin Banks has been a stud, maybe the best true freshman in the state next to you know Richard Reese maybe at Baylor. Uh, they have two true freshmen starting on the offensive line, but we don't talk about them very much. And that's yeah. a great sign for a team. The less you talk about the offensive line, specifically the individuals on the offensive line, uh, the better. So I think this was a big win for Texas. For me, it feels like there's three or four teams in the Big 12 with a real chance here. And that's Kansas State and, and TCU at the top. But then Texas is right there at mm-hmm. that next that next tier, along with Oklahoma State, everything to play for in front of them. Um, they, proved, they proved they've grown since that Texas Tech game. Yeah. They were able to do some stuff that they weren't against Texas Tech. Now, Iowa State dropped a ball that mm-hmm. could have scored the could have scored yes, a touchdown late said, yes you know and, and all that kind of stuff some of this is luck right iowa state fumbles a ball but you put yourself in positions to capitalize on that luck and that's something that texas hasn't done recently the defense was a little bit of concern iowa state had a lot of success on third down specifically that that offense isn't very good and texas made it look pretty pretty solid pretty average at least mm-hmm. um so i think at the end of the day it's not a pretty win but Texas doesn't win many ugly games. And so that has to be a good sign that your team was able to finally win one of those games that maybe you're not known for pulling off. Yeah. I think it was also a good sign that, you know, they pulled this one out while Quinn Ewers was a little bit sloppy. You know, I think a lot of hype, rightfully so. He looked fantastic against Oklahoma. We, we know the arm talent going back to his days at South Lake Carroll. And there were some, you know, some of them was miscommunication, but some of them was just, he was off and, I think it also helped that he knows that he has a safety blanket in Jatavian Sanders. So he's like, all right, I missed Xavier Worthy on this big play. All right, I just got to get it. I just got to get a couple, right? I got to get a, as the equivalent of like the free throw in basketball, right? I got to get a couple free throws right here. Here's Jatavian Sanders. Well, we, let's go get some extra yards. Um, and maybe we won't hit the home run right away. And also I'm going to give credit to Iowa State because they didn't let, they didn't let those, aside from let's say two probably deep shots, there wasn't really that option this game for Texas often, right? You didn't see what we saw against Alabama, which they tried to take advantage of multiple times or in Oklahoma as well, the deep shot off the play action fake or things like that. And Iowa State's like, no, 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 we're not like, you can give the ball to Bijan Robinson. That's fine. We're not biting. Right. Um, and Texas took advantage of that. Roshan Johnson had 71 yards on 11 carries. Bijan had 135 and 28. They were letting him run the ball. They weren't going to bite and let the safeties creep up and get get the corners turned around or in the uh, eyes in the backfield for the deep shot. They were like, we're not going to let that Quinn Ewers arm beat us. So um, I think, I wonder, we'll see next week because they go to Stillwater and that's obviously going to be a great game. 
that I'm going to look forward to, but I'm curious how they play versus the Texas defense. Did Iowa State give kind of a blueprint saying, look, if we're going to take our chances, we're going to make this run game beat us because Quinn Ewers has that NFL arm and we're just not going to let Xavier Worthy get downfield and bust this game open. You're going to have to win this game with 12 to 15 play drives and not the kill shots that we saw against Oklahoma. All right, that'll do it for the games off the top. Let's get to our power poll. At the bottom, UTEP deservedly has a week off. They will be back next week. Texas State, of course, we talked about them off the top. So let's get to number 10, SMU 40, Navy 34. Mike Craven, what did I say about this game scaring me? (laughs) I said this game was very frightening. Navy, I didn't think Navy was good. I still don't think Navy's very good. This SMU defense terrifies me, man. I this <laughs> this is not a good version of the flexbone triple option. And they were in this game. And like I thought, okay, they played Air Force close, but they see that offense every day in practice. So whatever. Ty love a tie, like from Navy is fine, but he looked like like uh who was the navy quarterback from a couple years ago that was like insanely awesome i forgot his name but he like was there for like 10 years um but yeah like he uh, keenan reynolds that's the guy keenan reynolds like he looked like keenan reynolds in this game at times you're just like come on man like you know what's good it's the frustrating thing about watching the triple option where it's like there's three things i can do (laughs) stop one of them and you have athletes to do it um luckily smu's offense looks pretty fine to me um they they were able to brush off a bad game um Tara Mordecai looked really solid we hope that he would get a confident game uh out of them where he didn't make mistakes good job because they needed him because if he made a single mistake this game unfortunately could have gone the other way I'm still in a lot of pain from this one uh SMU was minus 12 and a half and Navy scored with like 10 seconds left to cover that (laughs) SMU was up 40 to 20 with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter you know so like I don't I don't see this I see this as a as a game where SMU um showed something they did in the week before UCF outscored SMU 31 to zero to start the second half of the, the previous game and SMU all of a sudden was down 14, 13 at early in the third, early in the third quarter because of one of the most egregious calls I've ever seen in my life. It was an inadvertent whistle during a punt. And so a penalty happened for the offense. Navy was able to keep the ball. They went down and scored there and took a 14, 13 lead. And then after that, SMU ran away with the game until late, you know, they scored, I want to say 27 in a row after that. And so uh, a really impressive performance from that offense. And what I was excited about was one, Tanner Mordecai didn't throw the ball or didn't turn the ball over. He also showed some stuff with his legs that I thought was pretty impressive. Did you know he could do that? Did not know he could do that. (laughs) Maybe that's only a Naval Academy situation there, you know, where it's like, hey, I'm as athletic as these guys are. So maybe (laughs) maybe that had something to do with it. But then the biggest thing offensively that was a good deal was the Dylan Goffney uh, arrival. Four catches, 116 yards, and a touchdown. Jordan Curley had three catches for 62. Calvante Dixon with Jake Bailey out. SMU needs some dudes around Rasheed Rice because Rasheed Rice is going to get double covered. He got double covered all he, – he got that first 68-yard pass against Navy, and Navy put three dudes on him the rest of the way. He had six yards catching the rest of the time, right? And so they're going to need other guys to step up. A few of them did. I think that's a good sign. The good news for SMU is they played a team that doesn't like to pass the ball because Navy still had 138 yards passing. When they when they passed the ball, they were pretty effective doing so. That secondary is bad. Uh, yeah, those one those one touchdown. I think the first touchdown in the first no, the fourth quarter was a pass. Yeah, and it was like a wide open pass with like the tight end like leaked over the top. You're like, oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, front four is pretty good. Linebackers are okay. The back half of that defense is not not really good. That's why I thought they were they would be able to handle Navy. Cincinnati's coming up next, you know? Mm. So like, we're going to learn a lot more next week for SMU. Thank goodness they broke this losing streak and got a win because they could have turned into a five, six, seven game losing streak if they don't get that win. Yeah. Um, The run we're talking about with Tanner Mordecai was a 60 yard run where he just 
got to the second level and no one was around him. And I did not know he could do that. Uh, even looking back at his days at Midway, I was like, I did not know this guy could run. So that was great. Uh, I wonder if I he thought he could do that. I was about to say, <laughs> probably yeah, he not. probably just got there. He's like, there's no one around me. Yeah. So I just like, don't like, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run. I'm going to run until somebody stops me. You right, know? Exactly. So, yeah, like you said, they got uh, UCF, or sorry, uh, in Cincinnati coming up. Um, and apparently that game's going to be on ESPN at 11. So that's going to be right in the wheelhouse of national television uh, just after the conclusion of the game day. So that's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, of course, at the, is that at SM, at SMU? Yeah, it is. Okay, cool. So that's going to be a fun one. They're going to have to um, score a lot. They're going to have to score a lot of points because oh, they're going to give up a decent amount of mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, moving on in the power poll, who is next? We got Houston, who is also off. So let's get to North Texas. We got North Texas 47, LaTeX 27. The Mike Craven hype train for Seth Luttrell's lifetime contract rolls on. (laughs) Look, we, we, we saw or we predicted that LaTeX is still rebuilding under Sonny Cumbie. Um, I don't think I expected to see the pass rush for North Texas kind of settle yeah. this one. You got Parker McNeil got sacked six times in this one. Um, the running game, I mean, there it was, right? There it was again. Like uh, Oscar Attaway, 112 on the ground. Ayo Day 122. Isaiah Johnson, 106. Look, I don't care. Take this all the way back to 1999 and play that type of football. I don't care. Like, <laughs> just you have three running backs who can get it done. Do it. Just, just I don't want to see Austin Ani throw 25 passes again this year. Yeah, well, you talked about it in the in the preview show. It was one of those games where you could just look at the box score. You could see how many times Austin Ani threw the ball, and you could pretty much tell who won based off that he threw the ball only 21 times for 196 yards. And we ran the ball 47 times, 475 yards off that and four touchdowns. So it was, you could definitely tell from that box score that UNT took full control of this game. They had the lead the entire time. They were up 27 to 17 at half. And it was a little nerve wracking to see that it being close at halftime because you didn't know where, whether you were going to get the UNT team that could close out at half or sure. one that could just give the whole game away. Cause we've seen both and they were able to keep up the lead the whole time played really good, solid football that second half to, to bring out a 20, 20 point win. So mm-hmm. it was a good, it was a good one for them. They matched law tech. And I, I love that stuff, man. Like, I still, like, I know that passing offense, I, I understand modern football. Like, I can read analytics and everything like that. But there's still something to be said about lining up and just mushing somebody in the face over and over and over. It's like the Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch quote, right? Like, just yeah. punch them over and over and over again. And that they made LaTeX quit. I mean, they just warm out. They averaged 10 yards a carry on 47 carries. Like what? That was a school. That was a school record. Four hundred and seventy-five yards rushing for North Texas, most ever. Um, like you said, defense was six, seven sacks. They were they were tremendous up front. And that's North Texas's recipe for success: is to win offensive line, win defensive line. The pass rush hadn't been there. They had lost the Murphy twins to UCLA in the transfer portal over the offseason. They thought they had replaced some of that production, but it hadn't really been there. Yesterday, it was. They were able to get to the quarterback. They were able to make plays. Um, that's really good because that secondary can give up some some yards and some plays if if mm-hmm. quarterbacks given time. North Texas three and zero in Conference USA for the first time I think in Conference USA since like 2016, 17, 18, something like that. It's been a little while since the Mason Fine years. Um, they're really good, man, and they play UTSA this coming up weekend in a game that you know might decide the West Division of the conference. I know UTSA is going to be plenty motivated after last year. Uh, but North Texas is probably the more healthy team. UTSA is kind of lim- limping into that one. So a uh, really exciting one coming up on Saturday. But uh, Seth Luttrell is a former fullback. And I would imagine in his heart of hearts, he loved yesterday mm-hmm. more so than any of those Mason Fine wins where they were throwing it around the lot. You know, like, I think that's how he wants to win football games. And they went out and won it that way. You know, this is a really good team that I, I had some people argue with me on Twitter about me saying that they're whole team like that it wasn't i mean they're going to be favored in at least two or three more of these games like they're mm-hmm. going to get six wins unless something weird happens that was a perfect game plan for yesterday as as mallory mentioned 
if you look down and Austin Nani's only thrown the ball 21 times, North Texas is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think they have FIU still on the schedule, which is obviously a very winnable game. Um, then they have UAB, UAB who has, does not look that great this year. They look fine. Um, that's going to be kind of a toss up. Like you mentioned, they could, they've shown the ability to beat UTSA. They, I mean, there's not, a, let's put it this way. There's not a game on the schedule where I was like, ah, they're probably going to lose that one. Right. Like right. Western Kentucky, UTSA, they could beat uh, FIU. Of course they could beat rice. They could beat UAB. They could beat like, there's, there's no, there might be a couple games where they're not the favorite, but you know, I wouldn't give wins, them less than a, I wouldn't give them less than a 45% chance in any of these games. So yeah. Um, yeah I think they, I think they get to seven and five. Potentially. I mean, very much potentially. But, yeah. I mean, like, this last is, three games they'll very, probably be favored in this is going to be a very very fascinating end of the season to watch especially if they they're able to play defense like this and control the game and control the clock in this way like they were able to mm-hmm. all righty moving on speaking of rice let's get to those owls sad hoot uh fau <laughs> 17 rice 14 what did we say about turning the ball over look at the box score <laughs> see how many interceptions tj mcmahon threw. <laughs> you can look at the box score and specifically mcmahon's stat line and know if rice won this game McMahon had three picks they did not win this game i had a really good preview show you know yeah, i kind of really did. <laughs> you do well on craven bets too <laughs> yeah it was a good week it was a good week we're rolling i Speaking of craving bets, Rice is one win away from cashing on the win total, and I bet about a mortgage on that. So I'm really going to need Rice to get me one more win. I really <laughs> thought I had, I really thought I had it in the bag yesterday because FAU is not very good. I know no. going on the road can be can be a struggle, uh, but I hate traffic, so I sat around in TCU's press box and watched most of this FAU Rice game before I headed sure. back. And if Rice just has one fewer turnover, they win yeah. this game. And they weren't just like innocuous turnovers. They were like in the red zone or on drives. Like they were times, like one of them was a tipped pass in the end zone to take the lead in the fourth quarter, you know? And yeah. so uh, just heartbreaking for Rice. They were like right there. You know, their margin of error is so little. They have to win these close games. It was a problem last year, which is why they only got to four wins. You know, they're trying to get to six this year, trying to get to a bowl game, trying to show that they're making real steps as a, as a program. Um, but you got to win those kind of games, right? When, when you're, when you got a team on the ropes, that's not very good. It isn't playing well. Your defense is keeping you in it over and over and over again, but you just keep turning the ball over. He's TJ McMahon has thrown at least three interceptions in three games this year. They've only played six and he's only started five. You know, when he throws an interception, they're one and three when he doesn't, they're two and oh, like, I don't, you know, we don't want to be too reductive, you know, and make this thing to where it's just like on one guy because it is a team sport. But when you're turning the ball over that way, you're just putting your team in a really hard spot and you're not talented enough. You don't have the playmakers to go eliminate those mistakes. Yeah. His touchdown the- to interception ratio is literally one to one, 10 touchdowns, yeah. 10 interceptions this yeah. season. It's like Austin Ani last year. Yeah. Yeah. I will say his first, his third pick was really bad um because it was it looked like he was going for a home run shot i couldn't remember if it was to mccaffrey or not but he was going for a home run shot and he just threw it right into double coverage didn't throw enough zip on it to really give his guy a chance and so like it was kind of like over the top right into the bread basket of, a, of the safety um the first one i feel a little bad for him because like he looked like he threw it into kind of, he was kind of running the sideline he kind of like threw it looked like he was going to throw like a basically a pass either incomplete or his guy was going to get it. And like, I thought the corner made like a great breaking play and like got his toes down inbounds. And the second one, I don't know if that's on him or the receiver. That one was like tipped up. And like mm-hmm. the guy had like one of the other guys had, it was like a tip drill for FAU. Um, so I couldn't, I, I don't know. I agree the bat regardless, he's still too careless with the ball. Um I think some of it was a little bad luck and that last one was all on him. Um, But I agree that he's, it's just overall, it's just like you typically, if (laughs) you can make your own luck in some ways. Right. And the fact that he maybe trusts his arm a little bit too much, maybe he's, ah, I can make this throw and it puts him in a position to where a corner can make a breaking play on the ball and turn the ball over just before halftime. And um, I think that last one came with like four minutes to go or something when they were in the red zone. So yeah, it, or no, when they were driving down the field, I should say. Um, yeah, just, un- just a frustrating loss if you're rice because, because, uh, 
Nikosi Perry really didn't play that well either, um, which I mentioned this would be a game if he's the best player on the field, they win. He wasn't. Uh, so I think that was, um, yeah, I think they're going to definitely want that one back looking back. And they were only able to run 41 plays just because they couldn't get anything going consistently, consistently offensively. Like they had two yeah. good drives, one to end the first half, one to start the second half. And other than that, you know, it was a three and out or a turnover, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, UAB ran, I want to say two or two times the amount of plays. I mean, they ran, I'm trying to do the math real quick. My 79 plays compared to 51, you know, and yeah. so uh, you're going to wear out that way. This is why Wiley Green won the job in the offseason, mm-hmm. by the way. Sure. Like nobody, nobody thought Wiley Green's more talented than TJ McMahon. TJ McMahon's arm is legit. Like he's a he's a legit college quarterback. He just makes some decisions and some throws every now and then that that aren't good. And when you when you it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? Like Ish is right. A couple of those interceptions are 50-50 on if they're a great play by the defense, a bad play by the wide receiver. But when you throw so many turnovers, they're just your fault. Yep. That's just that's just what it is. And for Rice to get to six wins, as we talked about in the preview show, it really comes down to turning the ball over. If they don't turn the ball over, that defense is going to be good enough to keep them in every single game. If they turn the ball over, the schedule gets harder and harder down the stretch for the Owls, and it might be one of those things where we're looking at a 4-8 and eight football team, and it's like a what if, you know, like just a couple less turnovers here and there, and that's a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five football team. Yep. Moving on in the power pole, another team that was off Texas Tech. I'm trying to figure out exactly when this, so let's see, when's this game? Because Joey McGuire made a declaration in the offseason. That's <laughs> looking very good right now. Yeah, it's uh, the last, last game of the year, right? Is it the last game? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So he said at an alumni event over the summer, somebody asked him about the end zone complex, and he said, we're going to beat Oklahoma, and we're going to knock down the goalposts. That's looking pretty okay right now. <laughs> so uh, I know Oklahoma won yesterday, um, but still, it's looking a lot more realistic than it was at the time when he said it. So, okay, I just wanted to make sure when that game was. They're going to have to fix the uh, left tackle position in order to win that game, or they might not have a quarterback left by the time they get to the end of the year. They might they might throw Zarno Fitch out there at, <laughs> at left tackle. <laughs> um, all right, moving on the power pole, Texas AM, another team that uh needs needed a week off. I did like uh Brent Zorneman put out a piece for the Chronicle say, talking about the offense, and everybody's like, Really? On our on our bye yeah. week? Like just like, <laughs> <laughs> it was and so when, mad. I was like, and when we Brent, thought we'd have to hear about this offense again for a week. <laughs> and when he's jumped off the bus, yeah, there's no more bus. <laughs> you know like yes that that's it's bad like when when the media and college station starts openly just writing hit pieces about things that are going on that yeah. is not a good sign because that is mostly state media it college. was a good i mean of course it's a good it was a good piece brenz warnerman's really good i'm great writer find it uh midpoint analysis jimbo fisher has terrible offense at texas a&m no two ways about it so <laughs> that's the headline so and all the replies are like really bro it's, it's bye week time <laughs> we're not paying attention to this it's like the 50 cent memes like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah what, are you like, what are you saying that to me for what do i do <laughs> um all right moving on to another midweek game the uh, second to last midweek game Baylor, oh buddy, uh, West Virginia 43, Baylor 40. Of course, this one was, I won't say marred, but a little bit, you know, kind of highlighted by the injury to Blake Shapin. Um, Kyron Jones comes in, looks, re- I think, really good for, you know, kind of uh, spot duty or not spot duty, but, you know, kind of being rushed into the game. Um, of course, looks like a guy who's still kind of has to work through some kinks as a, as a college quarterback, but I think he flashed a lot of what we saw at Shadow Creek. Unfortunately, this Baylor defense is god awful. I'm sorry, they're bad, man. This is I know West Virginia is pretty decent at offense, right? We talked about it. This is how they can if it was going to be a a West Virginia win, it was going to be a shootout for them. They can throw the ball a little bit. I didn't think Baylor's defense was this bad though. Um they have no I think you said it. I think you said it on Twitter. They have no playmakers. They have none. When they need a play, when they need a sack, when they need a pick, tackle for a loss, something. There's nobody to be like, there's the guy, right? We thought it'd be Dylan Doyle, and he's fine, but he's more of the somebody has to make these tackles kind of guy. Like it's like you you, you watch him all over the field, and it's like, oh man, he finishes with 15 tackles. Yeah, somebody has to. Somebody's got to mop up the second level because they're gonna get through. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, to me, they're just a team that doesn't have a Jalen Petrie, doesn't have a Terrell Bernard, doesn't have a JT Woods. They just don't have a guy who can, okay, we got to go make a play here. A, yeah. a guy who does something off script that you can't plan for that's just like, that's a dude. And maybe Christian Morgan becomes that guy. But right now, their best player is a nose tackle, and there's only so much a nose tackle can do. Yep. Um, Baylor, I feel two different ways about Baylor. On one hand, you're right, right? Like, this is not a great Baylor team. They're not, they've taken a step back from last year. They've given up over 30 points two games in a row after not giving it up 30 points since the last game of 2020. Mm, Before the Oklahoma State game last week, the last time they had given up more than 30 points was the last game of the 2020 season. Mm. However, they lose double overtime to BYU in a game that they're right there in that if the wide receivers are playing well at all, they win that game. If the Gavin Holmes and Monterey Baldwin that we've seen the last couple of weeks are there for BYU, they win that football game. Sure. If they don't give up like eight special teams points against Oklahoma State, they win that football game. If they don't give up a fumble return for a touchdown on a on kind of a weird freak play in the first half, and then if Blake Shapin doesn't get you know a dirty hit that sends them out of the game, they probably win this West Virginia game. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those small margin situations where we're all jumping off the Baylor bandwagon, myself included. But if you look back on it individually, and maybe if we do this for every team with a, an average record, this is true everywhere. But there's just three or four plays, three or four situations where if they go differently, Baylor's five and one, maybe even six and oh. And so are they a bad football team? Are they an unlucky football team? Are they a sloppy football team? I don't know. I just feel like they're a team that's lacking some dudes on the defensive side that they had last year that makes that deep. It's a lot easier to creep when you have Jalen Petrie. Sure. Right. Like it's a lot easier to, to Dylan Doyle as your second linebacker stellar next to Terrell Bernard as the main dude. And now you got to have a second linebacker there that's still growing up. Now it's not the same unit anymore. And so I think that's happening all across the field where I still believe in Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts's ability to identify talent, coach them up, all that kind of stuff. But I think we all assumed it would happen right away when it's going to need to be a year of development where these young guys grow up. Yeah, I agree. Um, Tony Mathis, gashed that defense uh 163 on the ground i think it was and i mentioned i am kind of curious to see the the status of blake shaping going forward um i they might win this game with him i'm not totally sure um just because it's one of those things where it's like you can't guarantee anything uh kyron jones had a bad pick that was kind of like a you know probably a young quarterback thinking he can make a play when he was getting sacked and just kind of threw it up there um maybe blake shape doesn't make that throw maybe you know we'll see but I did think it was promising. If I'm Baylor, I'm a little bit, I'm, I, I'm encouraged that you were still in this game very much with Kyron Jones basically playing most or all the fourth quarter, most of the third quarter. Um, now I'm wondering if he has to start. Okay, now you get, go to, you go home, right? You play Kansas, who's also with a backup quarterback, and you kind of see what you got. Um, again, we'll see the status of Blake Shapin, but I'm encouraged if I have to go with Kyron Jones into this game with a full week of prep. Um, so yeah, I, the offense, I'm ironically not too worried about them, even with Kyron Jones back there. Um, I'm wondering if we see a little bit more of the running game. He could run, he can run. He's not an insanely, he's not a, a, a Gary Bahannon, but he can run the ball a little bit more physically than Blake Shapin. Um, I'm wondering if they get him involved with Richard Reese in the running game at all, if he's the guy. Um, yeah. So I'm, again, I'm not, you know, Gavin Holmes star looks like a star defensively is just where especially in that front seven that's just where it's really really dire right now you play Kansas who loves to run the ball if they can um that's kind of what I'm worried about because your next games <laughs> I mean honestly I'm looking at the schedule right now this is not the stretch you need to go into with your defense playing bad Kansas Texas Tech Oklahoma Kansas State TCU Texas like that is those are the best offensive teams in the conference uh even with Oklahoma because they looked pretty you know the offense looked good with Dylan Gabriel back so yeah that's not the stretch you need with this defense playing this way so I don't know what uh bubblegum and tape that Dave Randick has but he needs to bust it out for this defense I agree with you on Kyron Jones I, I think that's one of the reasons they were so okay with Gary Bohannon entering the transfer portal. Sure. One of it was to do the right thing, right? Like right. you're going into your last year, you're not going to start here, go do your thing. But also it that that decision is made easier. And I respect the hell out of Dave Aranda for doing it, but that decision is made easier when you have a good backup quarterback. Right. And they they do think drones is a good backup quarterback. Um that 
he put them in position to win that game and they took the lead and that yeah. defense just just let it go right down the field and so uh yeah i don't think quarterbacks their problem they we all thought that they would take i thought the defense would be a little bit worse but the sure. offense being better more i thought the offense would be more better than the defense was worse yes and the offense is a touchdown better than it was last year the defense is 10 points worse than it was last year though and so it's not showing up on the field yeah that's not good uh all right moving into our last game of the day utsa (laughs) a win is a win uh utsa 30 fiu 10 a win is a win that's all I'm going to say. Uh, this game was sloppy. This game was ugly. The weather was ugly. FIU threw out a Miami Vice design on the field for some reason. I thought that was weird. Um, but again, we talked about this team. This team's a young FIU team. I think they, again, I think they're the youngest team in the country. So like, this is a game where you, you, you need to not play a sloppy game because these are guys just kind of playing in the fire, right? There are a lot of high school kids who are just like thrown at the fire. UTSA, eh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to blame the weather. I don't want to blame. I'm trying to figure out what to blame here, but it just looked like a team that really, like you mentioned, is really banged up, really got sucked into a midweek game after the last week. And I was like, all right, we just gotta, I don't know, man, these guys are kind of doing whatever out there on the other side of the ball. I don't know what's happening. Um, but they came out with a win. I don't know if you you can take much away from this one. If you're UTSA, you just said, Hey, look, we came out with a win in Florida. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, bad weather Friday night, weird game against a team that you're a lot better than UTSA right. had one of those weird games last year. It was UNLV at home. So occasionally this just happens where, you know, it's hard. It's not a video game. It's hard every right. week to kind of just show up and just like, we're 40 points better than this team. Let's just go dominate. Uh, Frank Harris didn't have a great game, but he still had 300 and something yards and no interceptions, you know, so that, that was good for me. It's the offensive line, you know, like mm. they have a defensive tackle playing left tackle right now. Yeah. And like, I mean that literally like Beatty was playing defensive line three weeks ago and he started at left tackle in a conference game, you know? And so hats off to him for doing it. Liberty, yeah. Liberty Hill native shout out Panthers. Uh, like, but you're not going to win many football games. You're not going to look pretty when your yeah. offensive line can't do anything. You can have Frank Harris. You can have trio of awesome wide receivers. Your running game's getting better and better. But if you can't block anybody, it's going to look bad. And yeah. that's what we saw uh, against FIU was an offensive line that's struggling. Um, UTSA needs a bye week. They would have liked it to come before this North Texas game. The fact that it's after North Texas adds a little bit of intrigue into this game. We'll talk about that more in the, in the midweek show. But that three-game stretch to start the season cost you cost UTSA more than just two losses. It cost them health. It cost them depth, and it's still playing in their disadvantage every single week. And until they can get healthy up front, this is what they're going to look like. It's going to be a struggle offensively. It's going to be Frank Harris creating some crazy stuff and figuring it out from there because they're just not going to be able to go 10, 12, 14 plays of consistency with this offensive line. There's going to be some penalties. There's going to be some missed blocks. There's going to be some negative plays. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, um, surprisingly, Frank Harris only sacked twice in this game. Um, you know, again, it, it's Will Stein and, and Jeff Trailer are going to have to get creative with it. Um, a lot of that was on Frank Harris and how he was able to maneuver in the pocket and get out of pressure situations, especially going against North Texas now. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them, you know, luckily for <laughs> luckily for Frank Harris, you know, his blind side is not the left tackle slot, right? So, like, <laughs> you, you can roll out, you can probably focus a little bit to that right tackle spot, right? Roll him out towards his, towards his dominant hand. Uh, kind of get them away from that weak side area still like that's going to be I don't know you can it's still going to be very fascinating to see how they maneuver in this game because North Texas front seven's playing lights out their pass rush looks incredible as we mentioned uh, six Saxians LaTeX and UTSA yeah like you mentioned just needs to needs a bye week needs to get there needs to get healthier um, because if they have to roll out defensive tackle or defensive yeah defensive lineman against uh UNT and that pass rush, things could get a little bit uh, interesting, let's just say, in that game going forward. 
Yeah, the good news for UTSA, Cavoy and Barnes, the redshirt freshman running back, really showed up. You know, he had 128 yeah. yards rushing and 20 carries. They've kind of lacked just that go-to guy. Traylon Smith's kind of been in and out. Brendan Brady's a dude who, you know, really good football player, but not a guy who's probably going to get 25 carries a game. Um, so if Barnes can be another dude in that backfield, maybe that takes some pressure off of Harris in that, in that passing game. Because if you're UTSA, I know Frank is going to throw the ball 40 or 50 times next week but you don't want it to be one of those things where it's constantly on third and long. Sure. And so if they can get into, to, to, if they can get into second and five and third and three, all of a sudden that offensive line doesn't have to just block a pure pass rush. You can use the play action. You can help them a little bit. If you get to where it's just like, we can't run the football, we got to spread it out and throw the ball. All of a sudden North Texas can pin their ears back. They're going to do with UTSA what they did to law tech. Yep. And I realized I said that backwards. He's left, he's lefty, so he can see a lot of the pass rush from that right side, from that left side. And they'll probably have to roll him out to the right to get him out of the pocket a little bit. So yeah. um, we'll see. We'll see what they do. I mean, you know, obviously, Will Stein and them know know their personnel. They know their guys. So um, yeah, if you're FIU, you're probably like, hey, those receivers didn't kill us in this game. So there, there you go. Right? <laughs> that's a that's a little feather in the cap for y'all. All right, uh, finishing out the power poll. Texas and TCU. I mean, there it is. That's that's probably going to stay the same way. Probably the top three are going to stay the same. I mean, you know, I don't want to editorialize for Craven right now, but I mean, top three probably going to stay the same. I don't know. I don't, he's going to try to jump UTSA to, to oh, two maybe, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I will do, I I do power, that. I'll do that when they beat North FIU, Texas. Man, we don't know if we, <laughs> they pulled it out on the road. Got to jump them. You know, it's adversity. You know, you play in Miami on a Friday night, the rain. I mean, you saw that stadium. Like, you know, it's like there's nobody there. It's like a COVID game. There's like weird colors on the field and stuff like that. Who knows what's happening? You get you get, uh, you get pulled out to the beach, man. You get pulled out to the seaside. You never know. Yeah, I've been to Miami. It's a distracting place. <laughs> All righty. So that'll do it for us. Uh, let me see. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? I'm trying to think of any other housekeeping items. Uh, go read Mike Craven's 10 thoughts from week seven. There's a lot of them. Um, there's just a lot of thoughts in general. Um, obviously every week he throws that up, be on the lookout for the 411 as well, coming up at the end of this week. And we will be back on Wednesday to preview another fun week of college football Wednesday at 2 PM. If you want to watch us live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, I think that's it. If you don't want to watch us live, you can catch us on Spotify and Apple audio only. Huh. With that being said, we have interviewed 12 of the eventual 13 FBS head coaches on this show. We have now started to lap coaches. Shout out to Sonny Dykes and Jake Spavadol for being on twice now. So Jimbo Fisher, please give us a call and go Rutgers. <laughs>